In Colossians 3 and 12, Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that we can hold it in our hands. Lord, open our eyes to the wonders of it today. As we open it, I thank you that you open us with it. Teach us, train us up in the way that we should go. Holy Spirit, illuminate it to our hearts and translate it to each one as we have need today to hear from you, to be encouraged by you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've been sharing, this is the third week, I guess, on this topic and started with the question, why do we follow Christ? If you're a believer in the room, you're a Christian in the room, why are you that? Why do you do that? Why do you follow him? Why did you come to him? Why did you put your faith in him? Right. And, and the best answer I could come up with that was also simple is we weren't OK without him. We realized that our life wasn't OK outside of him. And or in other words, we needed change. We needed to change. And we talked about how in Romans 12, it says that we'd be transformed by the renewing of our mind when we uh, give to him our bodies as a living sacrifice. Right. We talked about that, that he is able and willing to transform us and to change us if we are able to tolerate the transformation. We talked about that. And then last time I spoke, we were in Colossians three, just a few verses higher where Paul said, therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature or the, the quote that we used was be killing sin or it will be killing you. In other words, he's using severe language so that we see how severe sin is in our life. We see how serious it is. It's not something to, to play at. It's not something to play with. It's a deadly thing in our life. And he said, because of that, get this out, kill it, take it serious. Not just what we think of as the, the, the big outward sins, but the, the dark corners of our heart that harbor those things that he listed there. And we'll talk about a few of them again here in a minute. In verse five and in verse eight, rooting out that poison of sin that's in the depths of who we are. He said, take this serious and eliminate it in your life. Put it to death. And so before we go into what I want to talk about today, I just want to encourage you real quick. Followers of Jesus in this room, some of you have been following him for decades, right? Some of you maybe not very long, but some of you for decades, some of you don't ever remember not following him in some capacity, right? That's a long time. Anybody in the room yet feel perfected? Anybody feel like you're just 
set squarely on top of everything in life and that there's never any failure, there's never anything lacking. You don't ever miss it. Of course not. And so take that to heart that you're going to feel some dissonance there in your life. We talked about that in the position that Christ has put us in, which is hidden with him in God. Positionally, we are where we need to be. But our condition here is not yet lining up with our position in him. There's a gap there. There's a gap there and we spend this life, this walk with him, letting him transform us and closing those gaps. Between who we rightly say that we are in Christ and how we live out our life before him. And when we start, the gap is really big, right? And what you can say if you've been following him for any time at all is say, I still have gaps there. I still have gaps in what I say and what I do. But thank God they're not as big as they used to be. And he's closing those gaps between my position and my condition. So don't be discouraged when you don't have it perfect by the end of this week or this month or this year or this decade. Because short of you dying, you're not going to have it perfect. That's why we we call this uh, following Christ. It's a faith walk. We're going somewhere with him. So understand that that dissonance that you feel, that conflict that you feel on the inside of you is normal and that he's closing it up as we walk more closely with him. And then be of good cheer. Even though this battle against sin is going to be something that you fight for the rest of your life, it's going to be something you're involved in for the rest of your life here on this earth. He has given you the victory and the enemy doesn't have any new tricks. He doesn't have any new tricks to play on you. Once you learn them, it's easier to fight them. So here where we're going to be today, verse 12 starts with another therefore. Now, when we see that in scripture, little Bible study trick, we want to see what it's there for. When some, when a verse starts out, therefore, it means because of what I just said, because of what I said right before this. And so we know that before when Paul started chapter three, he talked about how we've been raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above where Christ is because we died and our lives are hidden with Christ in God, who is seated at the right hand of God. And we're supposed to set our minds on things that are above, not on earthly things. And then he says, therefore, be killing sin. Why? Because it's going to hurt you. And then he says, therefore, here in verse 12, because of those things that I just said, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. As God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. And we're going to hold up right there for just a second. Because what I love is before he asks us to do anything in this little passage, he reminds us who we are. Before he asks us to carry something out, he reminds us from what position we are carrying that out. Who we are now in Christ. Because we won't do what we need to do unless we realize who we have become. And this terminology that he uses, God's chosen ones, 
holy and dearly loved. This, this was language that previously would have only been applied to the Israelites, the people of God. It was restrictive. If you weren't a part of that nation, this wouldn't have applied to you. It was saying how they were set apart, loved by God. But what Christ did is he opened that up where we weren't excluded anymore, but a, a believer in Christ would be included in that chosen, holy, and dearly loved. You ever been on the outside of a group? We felt what that's like, right? Even if it wasn't a good group to be in, we didn't want them not to want us. To be excluded feels very wrong. And especially if you'd been excluded and then you made it in. And that's what we have in Christ, chosen, holy, and dearly, dearly loved. As a believer, as a follower of Christ, you will never be more loved than you are right now. You will never be more loved than you are right now. And your heart and your mind may go to say, oh man, well, I'm not very good right now. If he, if he only loves me, you know, if this is the most he's going to love me, because look, that's what we do is we take love down to where we understand it instead of letting our understanding come up to where he set it. We will never be more loved than we are right now. We can fall into the deception that God loves a future version of us better than the way we are right now. I mean, he kind of loves me right now. He kind of puts up with me, but he's going to love me better when I read my Bible more. He's going to love me more when I can pray better. He's going to love me more when I don't get as mad. He's going to love me more when I get this under control because that's how we think. And, and we start to think that he's altogether like us. Because we do love people better when they do better for us, don't we? He said even the tax collectors and sinners love those who are kind and good to them. Love those who benefit them. That's how we can tend to think because that's how, what we're used to here. But God doesn't love a future version of you more than he loves you right now. Again, that's the way that the world loves. That's what it means when he said that we are hidden with Christ in God. We are in union with Christ. That means he loves you like he loves Jesus because you are in Jesus. And you go, oh man, well, I don't deserve that. Exactly. That is grace defined. That he loves you like he loves Jesus, even though you are, I am like I am. That I'm still imperfect, that I'm still not as I should be. But we can start to feel like he's probably getting really tired of me by this point. I'm probably really about to wear him out, but you cannot wear his grace out when you're following him. He doesn't love a future version of you more than he loves you. And I think that's why he wanted to, Paul wanted to make this clear, God's chosen ones, holy, set apart, dearly loved, because he's about to give us a list of things to do. And he wants us to understand that this list of things to do isn't so we will be chosen and holy and dearly loved. It's because you are already chosen and holy and dearly loved do these things. 
as a chosen one who's holy and dearly loved already do these things because being wanted changes what I want. Right? You see what I'm saying? When I'm wanted by someone, it changes what I want. His grace towards me changes what I want. He wanted me, and so I want to be more like him. Not more liked by him, but more like him. And so from this position, in verse 12, from this position as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, he says, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, you are also to forgive. In this position, put on. Now, if you'll remember when we talked about verses 5 through 11, he told us there were some things we were supposed to put off or that we were supposed to put away. He said, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Put away all of the following. And then since you, in verse 9, since you have put off the old self and its nature, and just like when he used strong language, to say, put to death the things in your early na earthly nature. Put on and put off here is strong language. We'll start with put off. It means to wholly strip off. Amen. To separate from holy. Not mostly, but to separate from holy. Even used to disarm. Disarm this and there's the, there's the idea, there's the tone when you use this word that is to your benefit. Amen. So strip these things off and then put these things on. And I love this one because it's, it's, it's a big word, but it, it means to sink into something. To sink into new clothes or to clothe oneself with something. There's an action here. You've got to get the old off or out or the new won't fit. And I'll give you an example. Y'all know that I'm not very handy, right? You know this. If I do anything, I'm usually doing it for the first time. And so I'm learning as I'm going. And I make a lot of mistakes. Um, a few Wednesday nights ago, we were in here in the cafe and I was talking to one of our folks and we had some lights out up there. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I need to get some new bulbs to put in where these are burned out. And, and he said, and I won't tell you who it was. Uh, we'll call him Bruce. <laughs> call him Bruce. He said, well, what would you think about going back with some LEDs in here? So there's this real cool new fixture. Just put a few in my house. It just slides right up in there, clips, you've screwed it in, and your LED fits in what you already have right there. I'm like, that's awesome. So I checked into it. This will work great. So I got some to put in there. I was like, we're, we're going to take some time at some point and do this. And I don't know if it's just guys that do this, 
some ladies, if your personality is different, you, you may do this too. Um, but any ladies, you, you ever have a man in your life and all of a sudden he's just doing something random? Like he went to take the trash out and next thing you know, he's cutting down a tree. Like, if you, do you have that? It's like, what, what are you doing? Why are you doing that right now? It's like, well, I took the trash out and then I saw this hole and I filled in the hole, but I pulled the dirt from over there and then I saw that tree and it was looking kind of dead. So I was like, I got to take this down. Right. When the inspiration hits, we just start doing stuff. And it's not because we've got all the tools there because we usually don't. Right. It would be much easier if we planned it. But hey, when inspiration's there, you do it. So I was up here the other day and I was like, I'm going to try to put in one of those lights. I just want to see what it looks like. I want to see how hard it is to put in. So I got one of the new ones. I took the light bulb out. And now Bruce had told me, you just put the, you slide this right up in there. And I was like, all right, Bruce, I'm going to put it right in there. And so I'm trying. I'm like, Nope. Not going. And I looked at it for a little while. Not going. So I text Bruce. I text him. I said, hey, man, got a problemo. This doesn't fit. I'll show you what I saw. Saw this inside of that. I took the light bulb out. That's what I saw. I said, this won't fit in there. I said, it's not a can. It's a cone, Bruce. We made a mistake. You've led me astray. He said, send me a picture of it. So I sent him a picture of it. And he said, will the cone come out? I was like, what are you talking about? Will the cone come out? All I see is this. I was like, let me, let me see. I'm just like, I start pulling and then this whole thing just comes out. And I know that when I sent him that picture, he started laughing. He's like, Ooh, you're not as handy as you are a preacher. <laughs> I know he laughed at me because I was trying to put the new fixture inside here. But it wouldn't fit because this whole thing had come out or the new one wasn't going to fit in there yet. And so when I pulled it out, you'd be shocked at how easy it was to get the new one in there. It fit perfectly. But that, that's what we're talking about today. You don't have room for the new if the old is still in place. If you're trying to live the new way with the old still in place, it's not going to fit. It's not going to fit. You got to pull it out. You have to put it off, separate it completely. And then there's room for the new to fit and to function. Like I said, it just slid right into place. What was that word for put on? To slide into, to, to sink into something new. But you got to put off the old before you can rightly put on the new. You've got to stop walking south before you can begin walking north. It's a bug. You've got to take off your old dirty clothes before you put on your clean clothes. But in our life, what we try to do is just put the clean clothes on over the dirty ones and wonder why we still stink. Right? Wonder, why is this not working? Why doesn't this fit? And why am I so itchy? Why am I so aggravated? Because you still got your dirty clothes on. You're trying to do two things at once. It's not going to work. They won't both fit in there. They won't both fit. So he says, take off 
or put off the old, and we talked about that, and sink into better clothes. Put on compassion. One translation says, the bowels of mercy. Because, you know, when they wrote, they didn't talk about their heart. I love you with all of my heart. They were like, I love you with my guts, like the deepest parts of me. I love you with my bowels. You don't hear that on Valentine's Day around here. It's just different. It's, a, it's, a, it's Eastern. It's just different. But the bowels of mercy are how I feel and how I see others. How I feel about others and how I see them. I think it's interesting that the first thing he told us to put on was seeing others differently. Seeing others through eyes of compassion. And then the next one's kindness, which is how I treat others. So from that compassion, treat others with kindness. And humility, how I act towards myself. I heard a, a preacher say, talking about kindness and humility, he says, kindness is my Christ-likeness towards others. Humility is Christ-likeness towards myself. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. This one can kind of throw us for a loop because we think it means just soft, right? That it's another word for meekness, which we can think of as weakness. But that word was used to describe a domesticated animal, a horse that I can put a saddle on and ride, even though he is however many more times bigger than me, stronger than me, faster than me, could hurt me. There's great power there, but it's under control. It's what allows us to put a yoke on an ox and plow a whole field. There's power there, but it's controlled and it's directed to the benefit of many. That's what gentleness means. And that's what he's telling us to put on is that we've got great power, even aggression because that's what you would label that in that horse or that ox. Aggression. But trained under complete control is going to benefit many. Patience. Patience. What we learned in how he deals with us. Right? Put on humility, gentleness, and patience. I say this all the time. And when I have gotten frustrated with other people, you ever do that? Happened to me. I'm like, God, why, why, why did that, why? Why are they still having an issue with this? Why are they still finding, God, why? Like, why haven't they, why haven't they come out of this yet? He always checks me and says, and how patient that I have to be with you. How patient that I have to be with you. How patient am I still being with you? And then humility just washes over me. Amen. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I'm coming at this for me instead of seeing it how you see it. That we're going somewhere. We're not there yet, but we're going somewhere. And that patience walking in it. How patient do we need to be with others? How patient has he been with us?
And so this list of things is in stark contrast to the list of selfishness and sinfulness that we find just a few verses before. And remember, he's pointing us to those when he said, therefore. He's keeping us in mind of those when he talks about sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Who's the center of all of those? Me. I'm the center of all of those things. Put away the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Who's the center of all those things? Me. Why am I doing those things? To benefit me even at the cost of someone else. To benefit me because I'm seeking what I think is best for me even if it's at great cost to others, which I know that those are great costs to me. So you see the stark difference in the selfishness and the sinfulness of five through nine to where he starts me out in this list with compassion and looking towards others, looking outside of myself. He wants us to take off that old and put on the new. And these are active words. Actions have to be taken. No one, no one will drift towards holiness. No one. You don't just hang around and get more holy. You just don't. It doesn't work that way. When we drift, we drift towards disorder and we drift towards chaos and we drift towards selfishness. That's what we drift towards. We do not drift towards holy and righteous conduct. It doesn't happen. There, there's a law in place that things tend to disorder. Things move to disorder. You don't believe it? Just look at your yard. I use this example all the time. It tends towards disorder. If you don't keep it down, it's going to grow up. If you don't keep it cut, it's going to get out of hand. Why? Because it tends to disorder. I've never woken up and said, huh, my yard just got, just mowed itself. It just brought itself into order. No, it tends towards Chaos. Anything that's natural is going to tend towards chaos. Anything that we even put together. So right now my yard is tending towards chaos and my mower is tending towards chaos because it decided to break. <laughs> Why? Because it's been, it's been getting used and used and used and used and used. And when you're doing that, it's not like I'm getting better and stronger by all this using. No, it's like I'm about to break because you've used me too much. These parts are only going to last for so long. Things tend towards disorder. You have to take action to move into anything that's going to be good and beneficial. Any, any state that you would want to be in is going to require maintenance and effort to get there and stay there. It just is. So we've got some things to do. Not to be wanted, but because we want to be more like the one that wanted us. Look again at verse 13. We, 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 we hit patience in 13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Now, I'll just go ahead and tell you when I was because I was going to hit on forgiveness more than what I'm going to hit on it now. And I was like, I'm just going to preach on that next week. So we're going to talk about forgiveness and unforgiveness next week because it just sparked in me when I was reading and studying that. But what forgiveness is, is a supernatural act of faith empowered by grace that glorifies God the Father. 
It's an act of faith empowered by grace. It glorifies God the Father. And it says, just as he has forgiven you, forgive others. Kind of goes back to that patience. Just as readily as he has forgiven you. Just as freely and as heartily as he's forgiven you. Just as completely as he's forgiven you. Forgive others. Again, I'm going to preach on it because I need it. I need to be reminded of it. And then it says, do do this, forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Because you're going to have them. We're going to have grievances against one another. It's going to happen. He's telling us how to handle it. It's guaranteed they're going to be there. What are we going to do with them? How are we going to handle them? He's given us new clothes in a better way to walk with one another than what we knew before. It's this bearing with one another, bearing up one another. And in verse 14, above all, above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Didn't Tyler do a good job last week talking about love? He said, these things, these three things remain faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is Love. And he's echoing it right here. He says, love is what's going to bind you together. The same language that you would use to talk about why your arm stays on your shoulder or why your hand stays on your wrist. It's knitted together. Life holding it together. He said, that's what love does for you. It holds you together. And we've, we've seen that, right? Love holds us together. Hate and unforgiveness drive us apart. But love is the perfect bond of unity. The perfect bond of unity. And then he says, and let the peace of Christ to which you were called in one body rule your hearts and be thankful. And let the peace of God. It's active, but it's so much more passive. You see that? Let the peace of God to which you've been called, the peace of Christ to which you were called, rule your heart. Let it rule. That, that, that word's almost like a, a judge or an umpire. Have you ever been in one of those, you know, a game where they're like, hey, whatever the umpire says is final. That's what it is. He's saying that's what you want to let the peace of God be in your heart. You want it to have the final word. You want it to make the statement of how things are seen and how they go. This is what this is here for. This is what you've been called to. The final decision, the final saying, man, why wouldn't we want the peace of Christ to rule in our heart, to make the decisions? Peace. You know, I I read a quote. As I was studying this, the Prince of Preachers, Spurgeon, said, we're in such a hurry, such a dreadful haste. We're so selfish, so discontented, so impetuous. And the major part of our sins spring from that condition of mind. What condition of mind? We're we're in a hurry. Haste, we're selfish, we're discontent, we're impetuous. A major part of our sins spring up out of that mind. But if we were godly, restful, peaceful, how many sins we should avoid. 
just to let the peace of God rule in our heart. He said, your sin's springing up from letting these other things rule in your heart. And he wrote that. I looked to see. He, I don't know when he wrote that. He died in 1892. I think we've gotten a little bit more of a hurry since then. I think there's a little bit more haste since then. It's easier to be discontent and selfish and impetuous now than it was then. So much easier. But he said, if we were godly, restful, peaceful, how many sins we should avoid. Again, putting off, kicking out the old ruler out of my heart. Who's that? Who's that? Me. Me making the decisions. Me sitting on the throne and let the peace of God rule. Let it have the final ruling and the final say. Not the chaos of a troubled mind. We're putting that off. This is the peace of Christ to which we've been called ruling in our hearts. Because something is ruling in our heart. What is it? What are we giving rulership? What are we letting have the final say in our heart? How we feel, how we think, what we, what we say, what we do. Where's that coming from? And so the last one for today, at the end of verse 15, he throws it in there. He says, and be thankful. Be thankful as a chosen one, holy and dearly loved, putting on compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness, patience, being patient with others, forgiving one another. If we have grievances against each other, just as Jesus Christ forgave me. And above all, put on love as the perfect bond of unity to hold us together. And let the peace of Christ to which you were called rule your hearts and be thankful. Putting off the old, pulling it out so that there's room for the new to settle in. We have to be intentional and we can't be silly enough to think that we can walk in a new way while we're still wearing our old clothes. We can't walk in forgiveness and selfishness at the same time. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. It won't fit. The old has to be put off or the new can't be put on. That old nature being pulled out, put off, again, for our benefit and sinking into that new life. You see, the, again, the difference just in the language that you how passive that is because Christ did all the work. Just like putting on new clothes. So going back to the question, why do we follow Christ? Why am I a believer? Because I wasn't okay without him. I wasn't okay without him. I wasn't ever going to be okay without him. And I realized that. And so why would I want to stay that same way? When there's change available. Again, the, the encouragement of nobody in the room perfect yet. Some of, you, some of us have been at it for a while. Still not perfect. Still got those gaps. But I'm so thankful, just like he ended that verse, be thankful that in this lifelong walk, he's with me and he's the one doing the work. All I am doing is walking with him. Amen. I'm thankful that I get to walk it and that I'm not still walking around there, out there in the dark. I'm thankful that I get to walk it. And he's given me the ability to put off that old that was killing me, kept me weighed down. Again, dirt, dirty, filthy, stinky clothes was the best I could do. And he gave me the ability to put that off by giving me something new to put on. 
changing a little more each day into his image. And don't forget the first part. As that chosen one, as one of his holy people, someone that he dearly loves. That's the position we work from. That's the position we stand up from and walk with him. Just because we want to be like the one that wanted us, even though we were like we were. So we want to keep going. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. I want to pray for us. Seal this. And then Andrew's going to come and we'll, we'll sing together as we get ready to go. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that when, when we realized how we were, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we didn't have to stay there, that you made a way for us to be alive in Christ, that we've been raised with him who sits at your right hand and our life is now hidden with Christ in you. God, and it's from that position we want to set our minds on things above and not on things below. Give us the strength to kill those areas in our life that would foster sin and selfishness. Thank you for the ability to put on a new man that you paid for, that you made available, that we can walk in compassion, kindness, humility, which is going to lead us to gentleness and meekness, able to forgive one another when we have a grievance against each other because we've put on those perfect bonds of love. You've knitted us together by love. It holds us together into something that's stronger than we could ever be alone. Thank you for that. And listen, if you're here today and you're like, I'm not okay. It's not fitting. It's not working. He's right here. He's right here. And the new won't fit until the old's pulled out. And as we pray and as we sing, all you need to do is talk to Him. All you need to do is tell Him what you've realized and what you need. And He's right forsake us. And you said if we would repent of our sin, that you're faithful and just to forgive us and also to cleanse us and to put us in right standing and then begin to teach us how to walk wisely and uprightly in this life. And we thank you for those things. Lord, I thank you for the gathering of the body of Christ. Encourage us for having been together today. As we go out, protect us and keep us safe. Perfect those things which concern us, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our hearts and in our lives. Give us today what we need. And I thank you, Lord, that you're with us wherever we go. In Jesus' name.